Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 148. Happy Father's Day, recorded June 15th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. You know you're hurting for show titles when you just go with Happy Father's Day, because <laughs> it's Father's Day and here we are. But yeah, got nothing else. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. And tonight we have another of our listener feedback shows. We have, uh, I, I didn't count them all, eight or so of uh, good bits of feedback. Uh, there are there are more in the hopper. I, I didn't uh, empty the tank, uh, so we can have more to come in the future. Uh, but we're, tonight the show is up to you. We'll do, uh, as always, Seth's great news, but uh, the topics that we talk about will be from you, the listeners. And uh, with me here to talk about those things are, of course... The ever-present, except for two weeks from now, Chris Neves, the command line godfather, and Seth Anderson, the gooey kid. Hi, gentlemen. Hey, hey. And just for the record, I am not your father. So. <laughs> um, my daughter, this five-year-old, drew a picture of me as Luke Skywalker because it was Father's Day. And I am your father thing. And it made me laugh because it was a fat Luke Skywalker. She drew drew me fat because I am. And so he had the lightsaber and he was fighting Dark Vader, as she calls him, as most kids do. Um, nice. But she decided I needed that picture today. She also, for those watching the video, made me this Father's Day tie that I'm wearing with pride. Right. Like a true father would enough about that happy father's day gentlemen what uh did either of you do anything uh, well seth you're not a father but i'm sure you honored your father in some way today uh, uh said happy father's day i think oh there so. you go that honors him <laughs> yeah that's good enough it works chris did your family spoil you uh not really um what ended up happening because uh for those that don't know i'm i'm changing jobs so i'll be uh, I'll still be able to do the show, but I'll be not in education anymore. I'll be oil field, basically. So um, we had to make a mad dash to our uh, Dickinson, North Dakota, because there are no clothing stores in Glendive that have corporate casual type wear. And all you have are jeans and t-shirts? And all I have are jeans and some you know fairly foo-foo-y type you know, button-downs that I wore when there was a special thing going on. Um, so I had no corporate casual. So yesterday, uh, my wife looked at me and goes, well, this is the only day of the week for the rest of the month that we can even possibly go out of town to get something. So we're going to go to Dickinson on Sunday. And I went, oh, th th this was Friday. Yeah. And so I went, huh, Dickinson trip that usually sucks to do in a day to get back here in time for the show. We're going to stay over the night. We're going to leave Saturday. So we mad dad. We went up this on Saturday, had a nice calm dinner with no kids because the kids stayed at grandma's house so we had a calm <laughs> dinner nice. and then a nice um a nice breakfast uh not at the hotel because the hotel breakfast was frozen uh and not like the movie this was worse um <laughs> but we did find this awesome little coffee shop that i didn't know existed in dickinson um and anybody who's following me on twitter uh, the post, the pictures will be up later. But if you're ever in Dickinson, North Dakota, find the brew, and it's just a beautiful little place. Uh, they took, an, they converted an old church 
into a coffee house. Cool. So it, it yeah, and it's really nice. The, the guy, whoever, whoever did it, did it really well because they even have like history pictures of the church with congregations and, and you know everything going on. It was just a beautiful place to to sit down and burn a couple hours this morning because North Dakota has blue laws for Sunday. Ah, yes. And uh, so, and we so, forgot about that. <laughs> When you're a parent, one of the best things to do for Father's Day or Mother's Day is get rid of the kids. So, <laughs> so that's good. just for a little bit. Just yeah. for a little bit. Now my uh, my in my house, and I think like many, you know, the Father's Day is the day that Dad gets gifts of stuff that needed to be replaced anyway. Um, and and so my gift today was a new universal remote because the the Harmony 900 remote that I use now, um, somebody, um, I won't say who, spilled some soup on it a while back. And it's never quite worked since. Uh, <laughs> it kind of works every now and then. So I got a new remote. It's cool. It's the ha- Harmony Ultimate One. It's their, their top-of-the-line model right now. My wife paid more than I think I would would have. You know, I I wouldn't have spent that much on it, but my wife did. So that was my new toy. I got to play with it today, and and uh, it's got a touch screen and all that cool stuff. So, Ooh. yeah, it's it's nice to. I mean, if you have a if you have a, a vast media center like I do, and you've got a separate component uh, stereo and DVD, Blu-ray. I've got the Pi as the media center. I've got all those together. It, it's you really need a. a you know a, a Chilton's manual to make it all work. Okay, so to watch TV, you do input three, <laughs> and then you set the 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 tuner on input six, and then you set the Pi uh, to turn it on, and then you tune use the switch. No, see the Harmony One, you just tell it all that, and you push the watch TV button, and things will and it's there. And uh, nice. That's that's what you want. Uh, and this, of course, this one can do home automation and all that sort of stuff too if if i had it all but right. uh, that's that that's the ultimate media center thing uh and yeah if you if you have that much need for the super remote the harmonies are the only way to go yeah and I, i'm I've, i really proselytize people to them all the time because they're expensive i mean you're gonna pay the cheapest model i think is 180 yeah. um uh and so you're gonna pay for them but it, it's it's worth. I mean, if you've sunk a lot of money into your home theater system, then you you might as well do it. And I, I looked at, I thought for that kind of money, I could buy like a Nexus Seven tablet, and yeah. you know, and run an app like that. But I can't. I haven't found anything, uh, any kind of apps or even suite of apps that would make the make it do what a remote does. You'd need an IR blaster that's Bluetooth enabled or Wi-Fi enabled. Uh, and I haven't found any any of those. I've looked for a while because I really think that's the way to do it. Because between things like Chromecast and uh, and that sort of stuff, the tablets is the natural thing. Uh, and you know you could you could switch between your devices or just play something on the tablet and cast it to your TV. But I haven't. If that project is out there, I haven't found it yet. The only thing that I can think of, um, I got a buddy of mine who does high end. TV, stereo, home automation type stuff. And he's got a bunch of tools that you, you know, a bunch of things you put together and they, they're network driven. Right. So you have a box that sits behind your entertainment center that you never see with all the blaster, IR blaster things that go back to it. Right. 
and then you interface with it through a tablet or a smartphone app. Um, but you have to have the IR blaster box thing that he's that right. he has, which generally costs um, more than a universal remote. So it these ends up weren't being too a bad. These weren't too bad when he was telling me about them. Um, and I've I've seen them. They they come the uh, the ones that he was showing me. He has a three port, a five port, and a twenty port. So you could put just about everything you need in it, and then it's all network driven. So you could use uh, if then if this then that on the Android and start <laughs> yeah having fun with it. Yeah, that would be cool. All right. Well, I didn't mean to get in. See, I'm such a media geek, which is why the Plex show last week was great. <laughs> yes, wow. you're not the only one. Uh, okay, any other Father's Day comments before I move into my movie review of the week? Uh, I, I, went, I was excited about this. Now, this wasn't just because I have kids. This was because the first movie was so good. How to Train Your, Drag- How to Train Your Dragon 2 came out uh, yep. this week, and we went to see it uh, Saturday, and it is an outstanding movie. It really is, all the way around, a top notch. One of the probably top three best animated films I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I like that one a lot. It's right up there with Toy Story 3, um, which I think is also sort of the pinnacle. It's, I mean, it's got everything. It's got really good animation. It's got a great score. The sound effects are are amazing. Um, the The voice acting is really good. And, and the, the important thing that so many people leave out is narrative. It's a great story. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen How to Train Your Dragon... I would recommend you watch that before you go see How to Train Your Dragon 2 because some of the things won't have the emotional impact if you haven't. Um, yeah, I bet there's a lot of inside baseball with that movie. Yeah, there's there's not as there there are a few callbacks, not a whole lot, not as much oh, as you okay. might think. But uh, the story stands alone. You can you can watch it uh, without having seen the other. But the there's one particular thing which would be a huge spoiler if I said it. But that one particular thing is. If very emotionally impactful, and I don't think it would have the same impact if you didn't have the the whole story from the first one that led you to that point. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I blubbered like a baby. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's it, it's not the sad. It, well, Toy Story three, I blubbered too uh, when they were yeah in the pile Holding of trash hands. heading toward the incinerator. God, I just broke down. I, I'm not ashamed to say it. And then at the end, where they, you know, I'm see, I'm trying not to spoil it. This movie's been out for three years now, but still, I'm so sensitive to spoilers. But the end of it, where the toys sort of find their new life, I'm crying at that one too. I'm such a, I'm such a woman sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But this movie, How to Train Your Dragon Two, had had one of those moments that uh, that just is is emotionally impactful uh, in in a in a both in in a very good way. Uh, you know, and it mixes, it mixes, uh, uh, it's like, um, at the end of Gladiator, that, that movie always gets me too. not the battle scene, not where, uh, Maximus dies, get over it. It's 10 years old people, not where Maximus dies, but when the, uh, the Roman Senator steps forward and says, who will help me carry him? That's what always breaks me up because you get Uh, that it's that story of a life lived so well that other people uh i mean this was a high man uh debasing himself to touch a dead body you know and if you understand the historical context it's very powerful and so this scene had that kind of thing it wasn't it wasn't just sad 
it was it was pride and sadness and and everything all mixed together and and not, not a lot of stories have that i mean i i can mm-hmm. i can name a handful you know old old yeller <laughs> one yep. of the classic one like that is one of those moments uh but this movie how to train your dragon to a, a full-on kids movie had one of those moments and at that point i was i was sold i was like just take my money i'm gonna buy the the combo <laughs> blu-ray box set whatever from this point on because this is an awesome movie yeah, I'll, I'll, I can't wait to to see it when it comes out, or possibly purchase it when it comes to uh, my stores, so I can throw it in Plex. Yeah, three or four that, months from now, when it makes its yeah, way me. up to Montana, uh, <laughs> oh, you'll be yes. able to watch it. Yeah, probably not that long. Um, we had Spider Man two on opening day. Yeah, okay, uh, which surprises me, but we did. Well, wait a minute. You know they rebooted that trilogy. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Oh, that was I was awesome. just making sure it wasn't the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man two. No, no, okay. it's the newer okay. one. I actually didn't pick the this one apart as bad as the first set of trilogy. Um, um, I, I enjoyed yeah. the second one. Of course, if if you're a fan of the comic book, which I'm really not, but I know people who are the the storyline. The spoiler is built right in. You know exactly what's going to happen. But if yeah. if you're not that that movie has one of those moments where you're like. <gasps> What? That's not supposed to happen. Yeah, and uh, enjoyed that one too. Yeah, it's I got to do a movie podcast. I'm I'm, I'm so <laughs> into it. But yeah, how to, how to train your dragon two highly recommended. Cool. Um, and that's it. That's all I have to say. What do you guys got? Anything? I hate poppy seeds. All right. Because I can't eat them right now. Why <laughs> is that? Why is that? Um, well, back to the idea about my new job, um, because the fact that I got to take a blood test or a drug test, not blood test. But anyway, my body chemistry evidently the f- tears poppy seed apart like it, you know, it'll flag in a, dr- in a drug test. And the only way for it to unflag is then for them to do the full test, not just the quick one. And I've had it happen to me twice now where I walk in. I might know I'm 100% clean. I've never, I don't smoke pot. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, not to say I didn't when I was in college, but I don't now. But every time I go in and, and do a UI test for drug, if I've had a poppy seed muffin in the last, say, 24 hours, it'll flag on me. It'll pop hot every time. And you have to explain it to them? Or how, how do you yep. get out of it? Um, well, if it's if all they're doing is the quick test, there's not much I can do. I have to feel, file an uh, appeal. And then um, they do a blood test? Well, and then, then they do the deep test, which yeah. is they do the, they rerun the, the, the urine test. And then they do um, if like the one time I almost had to go to an actual blood test because they, they just were anti me being working there, I guess. And I was like – no, <laughs> I need this job. You're, you're not going to pull it away from me because of a stupid poppy seed muffin. Um, so I have made sure this time around I have been poppy seed free for almost 15 days. Well, in case you don't know, and if you're listening to this, opium is made from the poppy plant. Yeah. Um, and so most, if people eat high concentrations of poppy seeds, they can trigger on drug tests. But as Chris has said, there are a certain percentage of people whose bodies react to it in the same way they break down poppy seeds in the same way they break down opium so it, yep. what you're looking at is the chemical residue 
for both of those things because your body processes it pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, apparently Chris is one of those guys. I'm just that lucky. Isn't Yay. that awesome? <laughs> Not. <laughs> so no so poppy yes, seeds for you. No poppy seeds for me. But the day after I pass that sucker, my wife has promised me she will make me a <laughs> loaf of lemon poppy seed bread. So <laughs> yum. So you're a fan of them in general. Oh, I love poppy seed muffins. I absolutely would eat them every day. Uh, but so yeah, this this 15 days of no poppy seed for me is is just been agonizing. Well, maybe that's uh, the problem. Maybe it's because you've you've eaten so many of them in your life. Maybe that's what made be. the thing happen. It's very possible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, um, just the concentration levels have built up yeah. enough to where it triggers. Because I've eaten like eight in my life. You know, oh. it's not a big thing for me. I love them, I, especially the lemon ones, the lemon poppy seed muffins. Oh. I'm going to be drooling out for the show. Thank you. <laughs> and very soon, Seth, when is it that you that our Ambassador Linux Con will be will be taking place in in full effect? Oh, I'll have to look up the dates. I was just putting it in there just to ask the audience: Is there anything? Are there any burning questions that you want answered that I might could address, or what would you like me to do there? Um, you know, obviously, I'm I'll probably end up being a fool just because. That's not the uh, technology circles I normally hang in, but I'm not going to intentionally do stupid stuff. Um, but, you know, what kind of questions, um, you know, look on the um, go to the website and take a gander and see what's there. And what would you like me to learn about so that I can come talk about it on the show? Or are there people there that you would like me to try to talk to so um you know we haven't talked about linux con in a while and so since it's coming up i figured you know we should throw it out there it is in august if august 20th through 22nd i just looked it up yes yep all right so yes our uh, everyday linux representative to linux con uh, awesome and since we're sort of that, on the topic I can't of wait to hear since we're sort of on the topic of Linux, and who knows if we ever will be again this show, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into our sponsor, LinuxAcademy.com. Uh, guys, thanks for, for sponsoring us uh, once again this month. Uh, you know by now what Linux Academy is. It's a, it's a place where you can go from being a Linux novice to being a Linux administrator by way of their step-by-step video courses uh, that include... Uh, you know all all sorts of stuff. I've talked about it before. The PDF study guides, the downloadable practice test. They've got some really cool stuff upcoming. For example, one of the things that they're doing now in their uh, uh, that we had a listener mention uh, a while back that their PDF study guides are time coded, so that when you're reading the study guide, it it's time coded to the video. Well, now they're time coding their quizzes, their practice tests as well. So while you're taking the practice test, oh, wow. when you're reviewing for it, you can go back and look at this the the time code where they talk about that thing so that's a lot of work to go back and and code all that stuff so they're going through and they're they're doing that in their database of all their their pre-quizzes so you know again i I don't feel like i need to spend a lot of time on it because you've heard us talk about it almost every week for uh, a while now but uh, you log in they everything works through uh the lesson browser using uh their their modules system so you you click on a module it's like enrolling in a class and the module consists of the different courses within that class, and then the the courses consist of different videos, and the videos consist of different components. And you watch uh, you you watch and learn and, and test your way all through those. And by the the time you get to the end, 
you're ready to do whatever it is. So they're, um, for example, the Linux uh, uh, Professional Institute Level 1 exam, you take that module, you go all the way through, you take the practice exam, you're ready to go. Then you jump over to the LPIC website, and uh, and you can take the course. And uh, you can actually register for the course from the Linux Academy website and sign up for the Linux Academy from the LPIC website. There's a synergy that goes on there. Um, and and they're adding new stuff all the time. They're adding uh, web design courses. They're adding uh, Amazon Web Services courses. They're really uh, blowing up their uh, their content uh, in terms of of quantity and quality. And you get all this for really an insanely low price. I expect this to go up in the near future. I don't have any um, inside information on that. I just think it will. Uh, so right now, if you want to sign up for a monthly plan, it's twenty five bucks a month. If you buy six months, it's $20 a month. If you buy annually, you get it for $19 a month. So all of that stuff for $19 a month. But if you're not if you're not sure you want to chuck out your $25 monthly and, and make sure that it's uh, – uh, um, if you're not sure that you want to expend that, you can get a 14-day twi- trial for a dollar. Spend a dollar, look around. you got two weeks. Uh, you can download a, a number of videos or watch a number of videos, look at the, the study guide, see if it's for you. And at the end of that, uh, it'll automatically convert you to your, your $25 monthly, but you can cancel it before that and uh, not pay anything but that dollar. So when you go, when you check them out, and I think you should, uh, use the code EverydayLinux when you sign up and let them know that we sent you. So, yep. Yeah, the the only thing I'll say under that is I, I've always loved the fact that when you go through those the – all the modules and everything, it's not just the GUI way. A lot of times they're showing you how to do it um, through the command line to give you the idea of how to take care of servers and your home machines um, without you know, relying upon all the GUI tools. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's worth and, every penny that they're charging. And that is very important when you go to get a job in Linux. You know, the great thing about Linux, all the different, well, the majority of distros are free, and so you can download them, spin them up, play around with them, learn your way around. But if you are going to go for a Linux job, you need to know the command line way to do things. Um, those are the questions that you get asked in the interview. You know, you don't say go to start and click, uh, you know, and click the fur- the furry blue bird or whatever. You <laughs> need to know the actual command line to do it. So, you know, don't go into the package manager and look for the repository and click install. You need to know sudo git a lot of crap or whatever the name <laughs> of the package is. So, there you, go. you know, and that's the cool thing about the Linux Academy is you're learning the under the hood mechanic to take care of a car and not just how to sit in the driver's seat and make it go. It's really cool stuff. All right. And now, moving on to our listener feedback, and we begin with Alex, who reminds us that there's more to supporting open source than money. As Mark, Chris, and Seth, I am a tightwad. Out of the four computers I use in my house, I've only paid for one of them. $50 for a broken laptop that really only needed a new keyboard. Part of the reason I started using GNU slash Linux, let's keep RMS happy, was because it was free. I continue to use Linux because I see advantages over other operating systems like Windows and OS X10. Uh, Being a programmer, it suits me well. I believe I have only contributed money to one or two projects in the past. What I have contributed more of is time. I help fix bugs, update wiki pages, report bugs, write extensions, and find artists to help make things pretty. Being a programmer, I have a lot to offer to open source projects, but even people that aren't programmers can help. 
Almost every project has a wiki. You see something that's wrong? Fix it. Something missing? Add it. If you, do you know a language that isn't supported by the app yet? Help the developers translate it. Are you good at art? Offer your services to redo the logo or images on the webpage. Have you been using the app for a while? Hang out in the IRC to answer simple questions that come up. Developers hate repeating how to change a setting and the like. They're just These are just general examples. There are tons of ways to computer, contribute to open source projects. I'm not saying to stop donating money. This surely helps the project. But if you take some time and relieve the developers from answering the read the effing manual to every question, they'll have more time to actually work on the project. So like I said, money isn't a bad thing to offer. But ask yourself, could I be doing more for the projects I use every day? So Alex, uh, well, thoughts well said. We, we've uh, echoed those uh, very same sentiments many times. But I will say you, sir, in many ways are an edge case. Uh, yep. And most people aren't programmers. Most people don't write extensions. Most people don't uh, even know how to edit a wiki. Uh, so for those people, money is the simplest way to do it. And And, you know... Do what you can do. I love, I, you know, it's great. If you have those skills, awesome. I don't. Uh, I, however, am a fairly good communicator. I have written some manuals in, in my time, and that's been my contribution. But uh, yeah, you're right. There's more things to money, but uh, almost all projects that die cite lack of resources more than lack of wiki updaters. Yeah. I would say, you know, in, I will echo Mark's comment about you being a, a fringe case because you, you know, you're one of those few people that are. Uh, so for those that that don't have the ability to, um, even if you only can do a dollar, you know, some sort of resource is going to help the project that you love more than just doing, you know, some basic edits to a, a wiki or uh, any of that type of thing. So, yes, if you can code or do or a graphic designer or a web manager or uh, you know how to write web code for websites that's awesome offer that ability too but you know it's one of those things where you, you can't eat if you don't have funding right so that's what i always look at it as it's nice to to be able to say yes i can help and i can do this and do this but if the project maintainer or the lead developer guy is starving it doesn't do a whole lot to help. All right. So let's move on to uh, Lou, who is our very first patron on Patreon. Uh, Sweet. Lou uh, writes in, Hey, guys, I finally did it. Maybe I'm even the first. You are the first. I just joined Patreon and added your show to the list. I hope this will be a great vehicle for you to generate revenue. I'm a longtime Linux user. I used to be a SUSE person and now currently CentOS and Ubuntu. In my opinion, CentOS 6.4 and above offers great, simplified desktop environment, and I use it as such. I did create a multi-boot overclocked Linux box, which I use for various items. One such item is ripping movies and music. I used Apple TV, and I hope that I can seamlessly get the Plex Media Server to work with the Apple TV for both videos and music. I will keep you guys posted. I did want to offer your group, offer to your group to funnel the... Uh, sorry... This, uh, little, I think he was distracted in the middle of writing here. I will keep you guys posted. I did want to offer to your group to funnel uh, Linux questions uh, and questions about Kali and NVIDIA Raspberry Pi and multi-booting my way. I would love to answer them. Finally, I'm considered compiling, not writing, a book about Linux that will cover more advanced topics. I've noticed that Linux books have gotten updates uh, in the advanced area, although they're 
Um, although there are new areas such as embedded systems, such as the Raspberry Pi and mobile devices. The book concept here is to be sort of a cookbook wiki format. Of course, something like this has two primary issues. One is that the material will become obsolete, and two, you really need a companion site for technical books. The domains I'm looking for at are hardware, OS distribution, security, embedded mobile, to name a few. I would love the comments and ideas from you all. Oh, and before I forget, bacon and coffee and chocolate. These items add, items add spice to the show. I do hope at some point you would consider posting the recipes and even offering the cockerel slab of bacon for the opiates. I think it would be worth the drive to Hotlanta. Please keep the show. Uh, lately, you've had some amazing guests on the show. I list, I listened to the Plex episode twice because I could not stop laughing. And kudos to the guy for the show topics, such as this week in computer history and the news. Again, would love to keep them coming. Love to help and keep them coming. So thanks, Lou. Uh, Patreon.com slash LMNOP if you want to join him. Uh, the slab of bacon he's talking about is... Uh, like any uh, crowd-funded sort of thing, uh, you're you're uh, re- recommended that you offer, um, what's the word? Thank you gifts for subscribers for supporters, uh-huh. and so uh, my uh, my gifts are uh, for uh, uh, the pledge of two dollars more per week. You get an Element Opie sh- uh, shirt from our store. Uh, for five dollars uh, or more per episode, uh, you get a hat and a shirt. And if you pledge ten dollars or more, I will hand cure you a slab of bacon. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, uh, that's where he's talking about there. So if you if you want to pledge ten dollars per episode, um, you act, I'm actually going to make you pay. You can't just pledge and get some bacon. But after you've done it, I haven't decided yet what my criteria will be. Probably a couple of months of. I'm pretty sure you're going to stick with it. I will hand cure you and ship you a slab of bacon. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow, I might contribute I might to do the that show. for that. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and and a slab of bacon is expensive, so that's why I put it ten dollars per show. So that's uh forty dollars a week or four hundred and eighty a year. Uh, so you got to be serious. You got to really want the bacon. Uh, but thanks, yeah. Lou, for being our very first Patreon subscriber. If you want to join. Uh, Lou and be a supporter not a subscriber I don't like that word if you want to be a supporter patreon.com slash element OP we would appreciate it I think it's awesome I can't wait to see who I want to know who actually gets the first slab of bacon because I think that would I think we should like put him on you know actually interview the man who who donates that much money to be able to say I have a slab of cockerel bacon (laughs) yeah it's not going to be a small one we're talking 40, 50 pounds. I mean, it's it's serious stuff. Uh, whatever a pork belly is, I, I don't know how much a pork belly generally runs, but generally it's twenty to thirty pounds in my in my experience. Um, so anyway, Mark, another Mark, was moved to contribute. He says, "I was listening to your show and responded by giving some money to the Arch Linux project." Our one Arch Good. listener. I should continue to do so as I've been using Arch for several years. You all were right. It's just a few. If just a few dollars were given on a regular basis, the projects to URI use it helped them stay around longer. If everyone followed suit. So, Marco, I appreciate that. Again, I was not intending to guilt anybody. That's just how it worked out, and I'm okay with it. Uh, and in the same yeah, vein, the guilt John was a freebie. 
In the same vein, John says, thanks for the wake-up call. Great show, number 146, with many good points about supporting open source. I'm inspired by your commitment to donate 10% to projects you use for the show. I, myself, as well as others, are just as guilty of not contributing to what we rely upon daily. I, too, will strive to make supportive efforts through time, participation, or remuneration when able. Thank you for the wake-up call. So There you go. And we will, again, I think, uh, I think Mark, what we should do... Is when we do our ten percent, I think we should, you know, you know, bring them up on the show and say, if we can't get them as an interview, but at least bring them up saying, hey, this is our ten percent for this month. The project's going to be X Y Z. Well, I've done it. I've decided for the first month it's going to be Audacity. I literally use that every show, and I've never kicked them back any money. So this month's uh, whatever at the end of uh, June. Uh, when I get uh, all of the money from Amazon and from tips and everything that's come in, Patreon, the whole bit, when all of that comes in, I'll total up whatever that is and send uh, a donation for 10% of that to the Audacity Project. Cool. I think that's awesome. I think we should do that every month. You know, The last show of the month is going to be um, one of the show topics, or one of the show lines could be our 10%. There you go. I like it. If I, like I can it. just remember to do it. Well, yeah, we'll stick it like in the first show of the month, what we did last month. Yeah, okay. that works. That'll, that'll be a good way to remember. Because, you know, bookkeeping purposes, things tend to trail in. So you kind of do have to do a month past to make it all work out. You're right. Seth was an accountant for a while. He knows this stuff. <laughs> well, that's good. Maybe he can help me with the new position. <laughs> okay, so moving on to uh, our next uh uh, listener feedback. Uh, it looks like we've lost Seth. Hopefully he'll come back here and pick up where we left off. But uh, Mike weighs in on poor people in Linux. He says, Dear Seth, Chris, and Mark, um, in the last episode of Everyday Linux, you discussed why poor people don't use Linux. I'd like to contribute uh, to the debate with the results of a scientific study conducted last year by Anandi Mani Sendhil Muliganthan. Eldar Shafir, Jiang Shao uh, of, uh, of the renowned universities, including Cambridge in the UK and Princeton in the US. Uh, I include the link to the six-page PDF below for your perusal, knowing your keen attitude to research. In case a nuclear disaster or sudden outbreak of war or alien occupation present, prevent you from reading it, here's the bottom line. Poverty makes people dumb. That, of course, isn't the way the scientists put it. They phrased it thusly, quote, poverty impedes cognitive function. Any which way you say it, uh, the less money one has, the worse decisions one makes. I do get free software. Excuse me. Do I get free software and we're going to spend 100 pounds on licenses, making sure I'll keep paying for the rest of my days? The debilitating effects of poverty on human on the human brain forces people to do the latter. Poverty prevents humans from doing the financially sensible thing in going Linux. Poverty itself is one of the main reasons most people stay poor. The governments and churches and charities should, of course, provide an environment that helps fellow citizens in need de-stress and help them manage their finances. Instead, we live in a society that makes poverty shameful, while the authorities claim to be to help by giving out uh, a pittance to the people who are in no state of mind to make the most of it, uh, and that's how the coins of the poor keep flowing to Redmond and Cupertino, Cupertino as if those places, places were built on magnetic rock. Well, enough of my ranting. Thanks for your great show. I hardly ever miss an episode. Have a great day. And he provides the link uh, to the study. 
I did read the study, Mike, uh, because I am into uh, research. And I got to say, I find the scientific methodology used there fairly dubious. Um, Uh-oh. I will, I will leave it to the reader, to the listener, to, to make their own decisions. Uh, again, the link will be in the notes, the Princeton University. It's a six-page PDF. It's not really hard to read, but it... <sighs> To me, it smacks of the scientific equivalent of homework done the last minute before the final exam. It just, it's, it's, it didn't ring true to me. It looked like they, they actually admitted in some places to, to fudging their data, not fudging, but massaging it. And they refer to that as, uh, you know, uh, evening out the, uh, the edge cases, but it just, it didn't seem to work to me. Yes, anecdotally, we can look back and say that there is a high correlation between IQ and income. Um, yes. And the higher your IQ, the higher your income. And it looks like these guys, my opinion of it is that these guys went into it trying to prove something and made sure that they created data that did prove it. I, I will I will leave it to you to read and decide, but that's that was my impression of it. And I just I don't think this is a case where you can say correlation equals causality. Um, yeah, yes. I would, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say that you know that that's fairly. I would say that I I didn't get a chance to read it because I missed the I missed this one. Um, but when I was you know going off of what you guys are saying, it sounds a lot like you know like you were saying that the they they had an income in mind, and so they were kind of tainted in the way they did the research anyway um i think there should be some sort of uh, not i don't know if this is the right word or not but the you know a double blind study well they didn't actually do much of their own research they they compiled research from four other people and then did a couple of surveys was their their methodology but i mean exactly but i think they need to i think this should be a topic to find out because not only would this tell people why people don't use, you know, have choices in, you know, using Linux or something of that sort, but they would also tell maybe there would be some tattletale marks or moments where we could say because of them being poor, this is why they're staying poor type thing. I mean, it's not something I talk about a lot, but I come out of fairly extreme poverty. Um, my my yeah. growing up was one of of federal assistance and uh, charitable assistance and just to to get by um i I don't i don't want to go into the details it's not the place for it but i will say that my experience of coming out of poverty and and planting myself firmly into the middle class um what i have seen and what it has taught me is that anybody can be anything they want to be. That's one of the wonderful things about uh, the American system. There is no caste. There is no um, uh, predetermination of what you will be in your life. Whatever you're willing to do to be what you are can happen. And I am an example of that. I came from nothing, and I'm certainly not rich and famous, but I broke that generational bond of poverty that I was born into. Uh, and And... You know, it can be done. It's hard. I mean, we we, we yep. use phrases like disadvantaged. 
it's okay to be disadvantaged. Disadvantaged by definition means you don't have advantage. In other words, you're like everybody else. Everybody is disadvantaged and only a select few are advantaged. That's what the words mean. Um, and so we refer to people as disadvantaged like it's a bad thing. No, that's that's normal. To be normal is to not have an advantage. So I yeah. came from an economic and a social, quote, disadvantage, and I worked harder than the people around me, plain and simple. I, I, I'm a smart guy, so I, I get some credit for that. You know, I, ha- I was given a set of tools with, to work with, but it was up mm-hmm. to me to work with them. Yeah, see, Mark, hey, I've never said I want to get back. Uh, I want to get back to his study. There is also uh, I read a different article this week, and it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a correlation between the latitudes that the most tornadoes touch down in the United States correspond to the latitudes that have the greatest number of Waffle Houses. So therefore, <laughs> you can prove anything. You, you can prove it, and this is a case where obviously I don't think correlation equals causation, and. Um, the study is flawed to say the least. I'm not saying there isn't a link there. I'm just saying this study does nothing to prove the link. This is somebody who, you know, it's like, have you ever given somebody an aspirin? Do you wear shoes? Okay, everybody who wears shoes is a drug dealer. See, I proved it with a study that you did nothing. Um, you just threw some questions out there to arrive at the answer you wanted. And that's that's my take on that article as well. So. All right, Chris, you were saying? Yeah, and I, I I can put that in the show notes if you if if we want to show there. It's from climatecentral.org. <laughs> uh the only thing I was going to say, Mark, is uh that is something I didn't know about you, and I can honestly echo that with you. Um I'm also one that came out of a poverty family, uh government and and friendly assistance from churches and such um growing up. Uh, and now I can honestly say I'm no longer there and firmly, again, planted in the middle class. So um, it can be done, but it is painful and it takes a long time and a lot of determination. Yeah. So, uh, yes, there is a link between poverty and IQ. Uh, I don't accept the assertion that being poor makes you dumb. I reject that. Plain and simple. Uh, okay, moving right along, Tony uh, responds to episode 144. He says, hey guys, I just got done listening to episode 144, and Mark asked for my opinion on when does a person have a right to complain. Okay, maybe not mine specifically, but the listeners of EDL, of which I am one. So here's my two cents worth. First, let me start off by saying that I've listened to every episode of EDL, and some of the Taiwan Tech, and some of the Periodic Table. I've also told, told Anthony at the Linux Academy that I heard about his product from your podcast and gave EDL a positive review on iTunes, for which you should send me a free t-shirt, please, uh, simply because it was iTunes. Uh, but does that give me the right to complain about your podcast? My answer is no. In my opinion, by merely listening to your podcast, I have a right to complain. And to take it further, anyone who uses any project, whether they're paying for it or not, has a right to complain about that product. As you said, you want both positive and negative feedback about your show to help gauge the quality of the product you're producing. Do you want only feedback from those that have contributed money or used a product you endorsed, or do you want to hear from all of your listeners? Because even though a listener at this point in time may not contribute money or use the products you endorse, he or she may tell a friend or a group about your show. Maybe at a later time, they can, can, can contribute money. Besides, what about American right to freedom of speech? Freedom of speech is not 
dependent on if I buy or contribute something. Sorry, I don't mean to keep making this example about EDL. The same examples can be applied to the free Linux distro or Firefox. However, I also believe that the creators of product have the right to weigh in on a person's remarks based on how invested that person is on the product, i.e., do they continue uh, to contribute to the project? Have they made a donation to the project, etc.? But they shouldn't just ignore it. I am in the service industry, so to speak, and I have been all my adult life. So trust me when I say that I'm not one to believe that customer is always right. So for those that use Firefox, including the Free Software Foundation, they have a right to complain about DRM being added to Firefox. Me, on the other hand, I don't use Firefox. I use Chrome, and so I'll keep my comments about Firefox to myself. Remember, Mark, you asked. Anyway, keep up the great work. Linux forever. <laughs> Apple, you're starting to rot. Tony V. Uh, the only thing I'll say, Tony, about your um, statement, the only thing that I want to rebut in any way is that Americans do have a right for their speech not to be abridged by governmental actions. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. The American right to free speech specifically applies to the government not telling people what they can and can't say. It doesn't have anything to do with this. You can say what you want, but you don't have any right to be heard. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Guys, what do you think? I was going to say the same thing. I have a right not to listen when people talk. So, uh, <laughs> But no, I, I totally uh, I, I agree with a lot of what Tony says. You know, people, if you listen to what somebody says who doesn't like your product, Maybe if you take some of what they say to heart, more people will like it in the future. So you can't just say you didn't give me money, therefore I don't care about you. But at the same token, maybe it doesn't apply as much as somebody who does support, whether it be distros, Firefox, you know, whatever. Uh, somebody who's never been to McDonald's, you know, I'm obviously McDonald's doesn't care much what they think of the store versus somebody who eats there three times a day, they're going to cater to that person, you know, until they uh, die of a heart attack from <laughs> cholesterol poisoning or something. But All right. Yeah. There's not much I can answer with. I mean, we've, we've all pretty much said our piece. Of, you guys have pretty much copied anything I would have said. That's what um, happens when you go I, last, Chris. you got to jump in there I first. Know. I know. I'm, I'm always when – I, when I hold my tongue, it's – I get – I get all my ideas stolen from me. Um, but, uh, you know, it, they, they've pretty much said everything that I would say. Yes, you have the right to say something, but no, we don't, you know, us, and, and because you made the example about us, um, we have the right not to listen to you just as much as you have the right to say something negative. The same thing goes true with any other software or any other project. Um, and as far as the Firefox gaining DRM, you know, it, it's going to happen because otherwise, Fire, if I, if Firefox didn't put DRM into their code, how many people would drop them? You know, I mean, that that's one of those things. They have to cater to the majority, not the minority. However much that stings people, that is the way the world works. All right. And finally, a last little bit of listener feedback. Dennis says hello. Says, just started listening to your podcast on my way to work today. Now, that's proactive listener feedback right there. Uh, and I really like it. Some of the other, other Linux podcasts are too technical. I'm looking forward to the drive home so I can listen to the next episode. Dennis in Panama City, Florida. So thanks, Dennis, for taking time out of your day the same day you discovered the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, I like it. We try to keep our Linux and our awesome, just normal day-to-day -day talks about as, you know, maybe a little more 
day-to-day fun stuff, less technical stuff. But I think we should put a couple of technical things every, every once in a blue moon. Yeah, you got my your bacon in my Linux. You got your Linux in my bacon. Huh. Exactly. So that wraps up the listener feedback for now. That's all we're gonna, all I'm gonna do anyway for now. And so let's move into now Seth's big old bunch of news. Some of these things are pretty interesting. And Seth, I don't know, I don't see it here. So I'm going to take the lead with something I read this week that I thought was fascinating, and I'll go grab the notes. Um, uh, while we're talking about it, uh, there was an article in Forbes magazine that uh, says Samsung that has uh, released, you know, this is not the first time, but Samsung's long-term plans is to dump Android in favor of your favorite Tizen. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> really? You've well, got to be kidding me. Now, I saw a couple of Samsung stories about Tizen. One is they are releasing the Tizen phone in Russia. Um, a lot of the wearable stuff they're coming out with is going to be kind of Tizen. They just they want to be they want to be like Apple and have their own thing. They don't want to take um, Android from Google. They want to have their own OS so they can be the sole moderator of the uh, Samsung cloud thing um, is kind of what's going on. But Yeah, well, it's it makes sense. I mean, the if you look at uh, um, their, the way they've been doing things in the recent past, they've they're they're Android in name only. I mean, yes, Android is the the basis of their platform, but they they've put so much of their stuff on top of it that yeah. uh, they're not even Android anymore. They're, um, I mean, my wife has a, 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 a an S three, a Galaxy S three, and she had a new update just recently that came out that took it even farther from, um. Android, uh, more of their what do they call it? TouchWiz, I think, is what they call their interface, uh, and it uh, it's it's just it moves even farther away from native Android every time they do a release. So it's obvious that Samsung's intention is to to be a Samsung phone, and at that point, it doesn't really matter what the kernel is. And if you're relying, uh, if you're looking at Android, uh, you're kind of sucking at the Google teat. Um, but if you look at, at Tizen or whatever, which they already own, uh, then you can do your own thing. So it, it makes sense for their, their game plan. But at the same time, there's a reason Android has 80% of the market. They're, they're really, uh, how can I say this? They, were, they started late to the game, and now they're trying to change the game in the fourth quarter. And I don't, I don't know if yeah. it can work, but I, I don't fault them for trying. It's almost, there's almost no loss to them. There's almost no harm in trying it. Yeah, at this point there isn't. But I just I can't believe that they're going to pull that back out of the grave because it was pretty much dead. I mean, are there even that many developers for it left? Uh, I don't know, but I mean, how many does it take? As long as Samsung can employ people in house, you don't really need uh, that. And because it's Linux based, right? And and Android OS, uh, Android apps are are Java, and so you can run Android apps on a Tizen phone. So they, there's there's no reason they can't be 100% Android compatible, but have control over the kernel themselves. 
Yeah. I suppose. It's just, it's weird. I would never have thought that Tizen would have been coming back again. Somebody for the double tap. <laughs> Seth, are you back? Can you comment? I don't think oh, he's back yet. I think yet. we've lost him. Okay. Uh, and it's it's a shame because I know he's going to have something to say about this, but the uh, the network monster got him just as we started. So we'll circle back to that. Um and move on to this Business Insider article that says the majority of video game console uh, owners use it not to play video games, but to stream video. Yep, yep. I've, I've heard that from a lot of people. Uh, I know about six different friends of mine that they don't play video games on their consoles. They use it to stream Netflix or any, you know some other type of uh, online pr- video or audio production stuff. Um, which is funny because, you know, not too long ago it was the other way around. Uh, and I noticed that uh, in my circle of friends, people that are doing that are burning through their products faster, their video game consoles faster because it's always on. Um, and so they start, I have, I have three of them that have just started getting, um, actual like Roku's or Chromecasts to take the load off of their video game consoles so they don't burn them up. I mean, it's clear we've talked about it uh, recently with uh, the fact that Netflix is some somewhere now around seventy percent of primetime streaming now. And I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that is the new that's the new hot way to get your stuff. And, and the problem is the the boxes the the TVs with embedded apps sort of resoundingly suck. Um, yeah. And so the only way to get it is to buy a streaming box that doesn't do anything or to buy a gaming box that plays games and streams. But the price ranges are ridiculous, right? So you got the, yep. the Roku at 40 bucks for the stick or the uh, the P- yep. PS4 at 400 So there's literally a, 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 a 10 times difference in price there. But the performance is pretty markedly different too. I think there's a market there for... You know, a hundred dollar box, the the Ouya, you know, these things like this that 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 does yeah. casual gaming and um, and streaming, and you know, maybe the uh, the Steam box is hoping to fill that niche at some point too. It, well, the Steam box be. will probably, unfortunately, be at least as expensive as the uh, gaming consoles, if not yeah, more. Yeah, they so. will. Yeah, I would almost bet on it. But you know, Mark, the other thing you missed though is the Roku system. They have a hundred dollar box. The the brand new Roku three, the actual box yeah. itself sells video games. You know some retro games. Um, and honestly, but everything if I've heard, would, I'm sorry, everything I've heard about that is it's a not useful experience. The, no, it, the it's gaming horrible at this point. Yeah, Be, yeah, because it's all motion driven. Um, if if they wanted to actually take over the casual gaming market, all they'd have to do is start putting in uh, like old nintendo games yeah. you know that would you know that would be the d-pad and a and b and that's all the game is yeah because the the move yeah. right now is to go uh android uh, go angry birds and people don't right. want those games on their tv but there was and a it, whole generation of people who wanted contra on their tv and those people are still oh, around yeah. and dang it i would buy a roku 3 if i could get contra on it yeah, or buddy, any of the old that would be games. awesome. 
Yeah. You know, I would, in a heartbeat, I would buy a buttload of old Nintendo games if they were on my ne- on my Roku. Uh, the other thing that I think would ha- could happen, and I, you know, I don't think Nintendo is listening right now, but Nintendo could easily jump into this market. Right. They already over- have. They already have the the Wii U. They already yep. have the all the intellectual property. They've got Zelda. They've got Mario. They've got all these great things that that certainly our age grew up with, but also younger people are into it as well. Um, they, you're right. They are they are perfectly positioned for this, and they're just not doing it. And I I think it's a bad spot. I think they it they're that's probably the worst thing that Nintendo is not capitalizing on because they can't compete with PlayStation 4 or Xbox One because they're not in that market. They're in the market for the casual gamer, the people that want to sit in their living room and just do something fun for a little bit and then go away. Um, They're not, most of those people aren't, you know, the nine-hour gamers or things of that sort or the, you know, super best first-person shooters on the market. You know, Titanfall will probably never make it to PlayStation or to the Nintendo system. Neither will Destiny, which I'm drooling over. Destiny, I actually <laughs> might buy a console for that one. Um, but you know, Nintendo would be perfect for that market. And they started with the original Wii because they built yeah. in you know the net they built in Netflix streaming. They had the Nintendo Store with all the old 8-bit games. It, it was great. I used my Nintendo like crazy. But then the Nintendo, you know, the, my Wii started having issues, and so right. I backed out of it because the hardware couldn't handle the stream. Well, now with the newer hardware, I mean, heck, a Roku can handle the stream. Why can't Wii step up to this plate and yeah. take it? Yeah, the, the the Wii was so simplistic. I mean, it only had an S video out. It was only for 480p, maybe maybe not even P. Um, and so they weren't poised for Netflix. Yes, you could do Netflix on it, but it was a substandard experience. But it still was my primary Netflix thing for a long time. That was how we watched yeah. Netflix was on the, the, the Wii. Um, and the kids still crack out the Wii and play Dance Dance Revolution or whatever on it. Um, so the, the thing is they, they were on to something there. And then they the Wii U right, was supposed to... to to beef up the hardware and then give you a handheld uh, controller-like experience, and they just missed the mark, I think. Uh, but yeah, we are in this thing right now where streaming is the darling of the cord cutters, but it's still not popular enough to be a killer app yet. It's somewhere in between. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think the market is right for somebody like Nintendo or Sony could do it, but they're so invested in the PlayStation they won't. Um, exactly. Microsoft could do it, but again, they're so invested uh, in yeah. the, the Xbox that they won't. But, you know, Nintendo, Sega, Sega has such great intellectual property too. If they, if they could get into this market, there's all sorts of stuff they could do. The EA Sports what? and all that stuff. You know, if they they just brought their whole Dreamcast line back to the to the TV plus streaming, that that would that could be huge. Uh, it just that was on the that was that was that was on the Wii. Yeah, Nintendo had licensing for all those games. They, I mean, I remember I I bought Sonic on my Wii. So what? You know, come on, Nintendo, step up to the plate. This is what you need to swing for because this is your niche. 
And so according to this, back to the article that Seth put there, uh, 50% of households have a video game system, and a third of those people, so quick, what's a third of 50%, uh, 27, 28, 29, 30-ish percent of yeah. of the the entire U.S. population streams on their gaming device? Okay, so that's 100 million people. That's a lot of people. Uh, and like yet it's said, still being ignored. Like I said, this is um, Nintendo's key position. They should take a swing at this. You know, even if they use the Wii U still, you know, and I know the Wii U sucks at this point in time, but if they added and started marketing the Wii U as this type of device, it would hit. Drop the price to two, you know, even $200 would be enough. You know, I could still see a lot of people jump dropping 200 bucks to get a Wii U if they know all of my streaming stuff will work on it. The the Netflix, the Amazon Prime, um, Hulu Plus, you know, all of that stuff. If it was a Nintendo and it was a nice experience, they would fly off the shelves. I know it. Seth, are you with us? In and out. I don't know why, but yeah. I'm I'm here currently. All right. So did you want to back up and say something about the Tizen story? Um, you know, actually I was talking and I was sounding all intelligent and then I realized <laughs> that why it. isn't anybody saying anything? But I, I caught part of what you were saying and you know, the main thing with the Tizen is every time uh they've tried an app, uh, an Android app, it has sucked. So I'm kind of scared that they're gonna lose all the great Android stuff whenever what they've done in android kind of sucks so hopefully if they're going to push tizen on the world they will do a good tizen experience yeah I, i'm ex- i'm interested to see what happens because there's lots of space for somebody to to bridge the gap between ios and android right uh, and a tizen phone could do that with with the emulator technology it's it's Linux based, right? So they they could do that. You could have this this one OS to rule them all. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it would take to what kind of deals you'd have to make to make that uh, possible. If you could uh, open up your own Apple Store where users could just take their existing code and dump it into your store, and boom, now they're on another thing. Obviously, you couldn't get it directly from the Apple Store. Apple would never let you do that. But it would be interesting yeah. for uh, Samsung's got the the pockets to do it. It would be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it would. It would be. All right, and next one, a computer passed the Turing test, kind of, sort of, a little bit. Yeah, there was a. It was a big deal. Um, I hate stupid links. Um, anyway, uh, so if you've not heard of the Turing test. Can a computer convince you that you're talking to a person at least 30% of the time? If so, then that is considered to have passed. And this um, Eugene Gostman, which was either a computer or a program trying to convince you it was a 13-year-old boy from the Ukraine, was able to convince judges uh, 33% of the time. But I don't know how true or how good they did because a computer programmer kind of got in there and just threw some random questions and proved pretty conclusively that nobody would think that was a boy it has to be a machine uh and one of the 
one of the hallmarks of the Turing test that they kind of did not follow is it, it wasn't it wasn't random. It was kind of set up under specific questions or, or under specific guidelines for it to pass. And so, you know, they might have done the letter of the Turing test, but I don't think they passed the spirit of the Turing test. Yeah, and the the thing is, they they made it a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy. That in itself right there, setting those terms limits you because these the the test takers were all native english speakers speaking quote unquote to a person who is not a native english speaker and who wouldn't understand uh native american idioms so right that so much of the context is thrown away right there by saying yeah you know by setting the parameters in such that it's a a, a young person from another culture you forgive a lot of things that you wouldn't forgive other under ordinary circumstances so they chalked that up to oh it's just a a foreigner there's a language barrier and he's he's young he doesn't have a lot of of social context so we'll we'll okay fine it could be a person but you put that person into a normal natural language conversation uh and uh, as the other guy showed it it fails pretty readily yeah so like i say maybe the letter of the Turing test got passed, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to count this. If if this was my claim to have beating the Turing test, I would, I would shut up and slink off to a corner, a dark corner of the internet, and try to do better. I remember years ago the Alice Project. I don't know if you guys ever did it, but Alice was a college student from Seattle, somewhere in that area, um, and you could go online and you could talk to Alice. And they set the terms there, too. Uh, they would describe the scenario. You uh, just walked into your college classroom uh, for the first time. You sat down. The girl next to you uh, introduces herself and says, Hi, my name is Alice. Go. And so they com- they, they confined the parameters to where you could only talk about college classes and, you know, the, in that context – um, and it didn't take long of talking to Alice for me to go, ah, yeah, this is not even close to a person because she ran home to mama to, you know, a, a set, set of a standard set of answers when she didn't know what to say. And, right. uh, uh, and again, this was like 94, right? So this was 20 years ago, uh, that, the that Alice, the Alice project was running and she may still be there. I haven't Googled it. Uh, but you know, the, the Turing test is if, you can speak to a person either through voice or keyboard or even with an intermediary um, and have a normal conversation and not know that you're talking to a machine. That machine could be said to be intelligent or even alive. That was, that was the Turing uh, uh, hypothesis. And it's sort of been the gold standard for artificial intelligence. And it just goes to show you how far away we are. Yeah. Yeah, But just, just to be fair, there are some people who I don't know if they could pass the Turing test. So, you know. <laughs> I know quite a few of those people. Yeah. Sometimes I don't think I could pass it. So, you know, I mean, I'll throw stones all day, but I do live in a glass house sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on what we're talking about, right? If I get some around the uh, around some of the guys who work when they're talking about uh, comic books, 
I couldn't pass the Turing test. Or, or it, we haven't even mentioned it, but this week was the World Cup, the the opening game of the World Cup, and and I work with some people who are very passionate about the game. I could not pass the Turing test of World Cup conversations. Uh, right, I couldn't either. My set standard response when somebody asked me about it is go sports ball, yay that team. <laughs> So, nice. There's still nobody better than Pele. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, but uh, a friend of mine has has talked me into going with him uh, tomorrow night, Monday night, to a bar and watching America's first game in in a bar surrounded by enthusiasts with a beer in my hand. I don't drink beer, but I'll hold one. Uh, and he says that once I've had that experience, I will be a convert to football for the rest of my life. We'll see. I doubt it, see? but you know, it's football. How can you not like football? <laughs> um, you know, I, I was going to say if you get penalized for tackling, it's not football. But then American football <laughs> yeah. is fast becoming the Welcome same the thing. Yeah. So, where you can yeah. do anything to a quarterback except touch him, um, right, or look at him. yeah. That's so we also often say on this show that it's important to use strong passwords. What kind of passwords do hackers use? Well, The Verge tells you. Yes, they um, it, just kind of an interesting story here. Um, they use most of the time stuff like pass or root or hacks, H-A-X, something that would be very simplistic and easily broken. So I don't know. I wonder, I just reading this article makes me wonder surely this isn't their person their stuff they're really trying to protect this is just the things that they think is going to get found out so they use this weak junk in there but um avast which is a pretty popular antivirus software um says that only 10 percent of the passwords were beyond normal capabilities of guessing or cracking so that means that's a pretty simple thing then, and they're actually not very complicated. So hackers use just as weak passwords as uh, everybody else. Hmm. I think it's more along the lines that these are the passwords that of the hackers that they wanted you to get, <laughs> you know, or right. you know they 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 use something generic so that way it, people that are looking at their other accounts can't break in. Because why would you use a super-duper monster password that would give away your method of passwords on something malicious and sh- you know give that piece of information out? Yeah, um, the average length, uh, the average password length was just six characters, and only 52 passwords were longer than 12 characters. And this is they. Uh-huh analyzed roughly uh, 40,000 passwords collected from years of analyzing malware. Of course, much of that malware is not written by a hacker, but written by a script kitty who doesn't know yeah. anything and thinks that's a good password. Hey, my password is Elite Hacksaw. <laughs> so, you know, I, I question the data set one. there. Yeah, no one will ever guess that one. I'm going to spell it with threes instead of E's. Um. I'm going to do password backwards. No one will ever think of that. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. There you go. I like it. Um, or And you know somebody listening to the show just goes, to oh, chase crap, your password. that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, in the the fight against patent trolls, uh, federal law is not doing it. So how about some state laws? Yes. Um, unfortunately, the uh, government is all they've used up their quota of uncommon sense for, I think, this millennium. So we're kind of out of luck there. Uh, but some of the states are stepping up um, and they are. You know, and of course, it's kind of hard because all the companies have to do is say, uh, this is a federal statute, not a state statute, so we'll get it thrown out. But there was this uh, one case where um, I believe it was Virginia. Uh, where was it in the code here? Where they filed Vermont. Suit and Vermont. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, the attorney and- general has new powers to sue patent trolls back. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. Um, And uh, Vermont is actually they're targeting the bad faith conduct, irrespective of whether the letter recipients were patent infringers or not. So they're saying that if you're going to say you've broke, you've violated our patents, pay us 89 percent of your profits or we'll sue. uh, They have to say what patents you have supposedly violated. Otherwise, it's just extortion. And so MPHJ, which is a. Um, and this really needs to become a legal term, patent troll. Um, they they try to get this case uh, basically removed because they say uh, this is a federal jurisdiction and not a state. And the judge says, you know, actually, this it doesn't matter because it's not about patents. It's about your bullying tactics. So here we go. At least some of the states are trying to do the right thing and protect their citizenry. Um, and I just think it's cool, you know. If I'm doing if I'm doing something that's breaking the law, you can't just arrest me and say you're breaking the law. Now you need to figure out which law you're breaking. You know, you've got to be charged with something. And so, uh, again, so you got you can't just say you're violating patents. You need to say what patents you're violating and how. So good for the states. Yeah. And uh, twelve Vermont other especially. states have have uh, followed suit, uh, following Vermont's law, and actually have passed laws. Uh, three more have laws that have passed both houses and are waiting for the governor's signature, and another ten have pending legislation. So you add all that up, and that's thirty-five of the fifty states are are stepping up to fill in the federal deficit. Yeah, but unfortunately, no. it doesn't look like any of these states are the uh, big states. Like, right. I don't see California, New York, Texas in there. Um, but it's a start. And it is uncommon sense, after all. <laughs> Speaking of a start, how about Alienware selling steam machines? Well, kind yep. of. Yes. Um, you know, we talked before about... Um, how Steam is or how Valve is kind of keeping the Steam OS on ice because it's not quite all ready to go. Well, Alienware, one of their biggest partners and the probably biggest name brand partner, they're going ahead and releasing a Steam machine. However, it's going to be running Windows 8.1 with uh, the Steam client rather than Steam OS. Of course, they will include instructions on how to install the beta Steam OS if you so desire, but going to be windows 8.1 with basically an xbox one controller and the steam client on it um and and i think for most steam people users that's fine they don't care what the os is right and i was Uh, just gonna say i don't know there's gonna be go ahead chris or go ahead chris 
I was gonna say, you know, that's you know, that's right. Most of the Steam people won't care what OS it is, but I know the Linux people are gonna care. They're the ones that are gonna hold out for the actual Steam box with Steam OS. Um, I know I'm waiting for Steam OS. I'm not. I wouldn't buy this right now because um, I want an actual Steam OS, not a hodgepodge. Right, and this is a case where you're you're a fringe person. That's yeah. you know good good enough is the enemy of great, and Steam client on Windows eight is good enough for most people. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, because you could look at the Xbox One or the PlayStation whatever number four, I think, and you can argue that they're both good enough. They're not really great. They have their strengths. They also have their weaknesses, but they're good enough for mass market appeal. And Steam client on Windows eight. Um, one or eight one a whatever Microsoft wants to dress up the suckage is good enough. Yeah. Well, I know, and I'm, I I understand I'm a fringe case, but um, it's just the way that I it, it it's just me. I guess I will wait, and I think a lot of the people that when they saw Steam OS being built, they'll wait too. Uh, I think this is going to be the guys that just want. Uh, they want a box for the living room. That's who's going to buy this. Yeah, so they're not so much not interested thing. in Steam itself, just as in playing their Steam games in the living room. And which exactly. I think I think Seth is right is the majority of people. Uh, okay, oh, yeah. moving on to our last story of the week. This one is a puzzler. So we just spent all this time talking about how Netflix. One of their strengths is that they're everywhere. They're on all sorts of devices, but they're they're changing their tune on that. Um, and already it's been difficult, you know, because of their reliance on Microsoft Silverlight. Uh, but now they're actually closing their public APIs uh, coming in November. But not all of them, but a lot of them. And not to everybody. Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, basically, they, they are closing their public APIs, but they're going to work with some of the popular ones out there, such as uh, Flickster, Instant Watchers, Next Guide, and FeedFlix. And so I don't know if that means they're kind of absorbing them or licensing something specifically to them, but they're closing down the way. If you have something that now works, um, has kind of a front end to Netflix to manage your queue, which it's called the list now, or access your Netflix data eventually in November, if not sooner, you're going to get a 404 error, and it's simply yeah. not going to work anymore. So I have um, an app on my Android phone called My Netflix Q, the letter Q instead of Q U E, and the right. sole purpose of that app is to uh, add to, remove from, and rearrange my Netflix Q. Why? Right. Because the Netflix Android app doesn't do that. So somebody else had to build an app to do that because the Netflix app uh, on Android, all it does is stream. You cannot touch your queue. You can't order a DVD. Um, and so now they're they're dumping that API that this application uses, which is just another example of, of Netflix wanting to do away with DVDs. They want that whole market to just go away. They want to stop sending red envelopes. They want to focus on streaming. And so this API that's all about the red envelopes is the one that they're killing. Yeah. But also, if I'm if I'm on Flickster managing my Netflix stuff, then Flickster is getting the um, the ad revenue for that, and not Netflix. So 
Um, I know that's part of it. Netflix is seeing a loss of potential income uh, by having this being done by other companies. Um, I know that's at least part of the decision. But yes, also a lot of it is just go away with the DVDs and just uh, just uh, take our bits. Uh, are there even ads on... See, I, I, I don't know. I'm a bad example of this because i run ad blockers i don't even know where there are ads but i don't remember ever seeing an ad in the netflix queue management well i have flickster uh on my uh phone and uh let me pull it up here i know i've seen so on flickster you might but i'm saying they're not missing that revenue because it's not on the netflix site right but do you think that Netflix is not going to come out with some type of app or something? Or since they're only partnering with these specific people, they're going to get a cut now? Well, frankly, that would piss me off. If yeah. if the service I already pay now wants to serve me ads at the same time, that would make me very angry. I am paying them money so that I don't have to see ads. Um, YouTube, I put up with ads because I can't pay them money. If I could have an ad for YouTube, I would pay for that. Hmm. Um, I would yeah. do the same thing for, you know, and that's the other thing that irritates me about Hulu Plus, which is why I'm not a Hulu Plus member. I'm paying the service. And you Why do ads. I still have ads? Pre-rolls, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can understand the pre-roll. I don't have a problem with the pre-roll. Not if I'm paying for it. I don't want pre-roll for something I'm paying for. Well, but the pre-rolls are only like 15 seconds. I don't have a problem with the pre-roll. I have a problem when I'm watching, say, a movie on on Hulu Plus or Hulu for in, in general. We'll just go off of Hulu because that's what I can definitely say about. And if I'm watching, a, 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 say, an hour-long show and there's six commercial breaks, if I was paying for that service, I would be freaking out. And you do. And in Hulu Plus, you still get ads. It's the weirdest. It's the worst of all worlds. So here's all the TV that's available for free anyway. But we're going to make you pay for it and then give you ads for the privilege of paying for them. Um, yeah. Which is why I'm not a Hulu subscriber. Uh, recently, yeah. I, I'm an Amazon Prime uh, user, and, and Prime has uh, a, a lot of video streaming. And they've recently added music streaming. But just before they added music streaming, they killed their API. So now I can't get it on my my Raspberry Pi in the living room. Actually, they didn't kill it. They DRM'd it. So, um, you know, it had been DRM-free. I had an app on my Raspberry Pi so I could stream my Netflix, uh, my Amazon Prime stuff that I've paid for, that I have access to. But now they've DRM'd it and I can't do it. And, and that frustrates me because I don't have yeah. a Windows box by my TV. Um, and most people don't. Right. To tell you, the, I bet you uh, the honest truth there is most people don't. And this is one of those things where it absolutely infuriates me that nobody is listening to the everyday Linux people when we say that this is dumb. Yeah. Listen to more everyday Linux. Jeff Bezos, <laughs> listen to the show. <laughs> Definitely. That'll solve the world's problems right there. I mean, Amazon Prime is a great service, and you 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 get way more than your hundred bucks a year out of it. I mean, it's totally. I keep I've started using the word totally way too often. I got to stop that. It's absolutely worth far more, and and I would probably be an Amazon Prime subscriber at two hundred dollars a year. Um, but 
they're headed down the road of giving you less for your money. And I just, yeah. I, I always wonder why people do that. I would rather you keep the level of service the same and charge me more until I decide the, the balance is, is out of whack. Instead of making this price the same and cutting off what I get until I decide the balance is out of whack. Yeah. Well, but that's that that's the uh, greed way. How much can I ring out of these people? You know, how high can I turn the water up before the frog jumps out? So Yeah. That's that seems to be the current way of everything happening. And it's no good. It's stupid. <laughs> And that's it. That's our uh, news. So we will move into this week in history, July, excuse me, June 16th, 1911. Yeah, I wanted to. I found several good uh, news or history tidbits for this particular week. And so I wanted to throw this one out there. Um, IBM is founding as the Computing Tabulating Recording Company in Endicott, New York, June 16th, 1911. And, wow. you know, last I heard, they're still well on their way to making money doing absolutely nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, they're middleware at this point. Yeah. Yes. Just middleware. They don't seem to make a lot anymore. But um, I don't know. You know, of course, you know, maybe Watson is eventually going to start making stuff. And uh, I wonder if Watson could be trained to pass the Turing test. That would be kind of scary. I would, I would guess they could, you know. If you think about it, Watson, with all the access to the information that he would have, right. I would guess he could. Yeah, well, I, IBM has been on the frontiers of the things that computers said couldn't be done. You know, it was said for a long time that we would never beat a computer that could uh, never build a computer that can consistently beat a human at chess. Deep Blue, sponsored by IBM was the first to to take down a, a a grandmaster in match play um and now they've moved on and watson and natural language and and that sort of stuff is what they're on to so they're 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 a moonshot company now and that's because they've been around for a hundred and three years yeah. um, and when you've been when you're a hundred year company you have i mean just the 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 fifty dollars they put in the savings account in nineteen eleven is enough to fund Watson now. Uh, so yeah. you know when you've been around a long time, uh, you can you can do that sort of stuff. You don't have to 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 have worry about the bottom line quite as much because you have you know so much built up there. Uh, I've always admired Evernote for saying they want to build a hundred year company. Um, yeah, and, and you know they're gonna they recognize they're gonna have to pivot a lot. Because you can't be Ford. You can't still be doing the same same thing you were doing. Ford's still making cars over 100 years later. That that can't happen for a company that got started in the 2000s. You're going to have to be doing something totally different in 2100. Uh, and still doing probably what you started. You yeah. know what I mean? Because otherwise, they're not technically Evernote anymore. They're, they're a new breed of Evernote. So you'd still have to be doing something similar, but not exactly the same yeah it's an exciting time to be alive it's imagine how much the world has changed since 1911 and the rate of that change you know how much of that has happened since 1961 50 years in right so the rate of change between 1911 and 1961 and then the rate of change between 1961 and and 2011 is pretty pretty dramatic there 
Uh, mm-hmm. And so that it's it's an it's a exponential curve. Uh, yep. It's it's pretty amazing to think that uh, what international business machine was a a uh, calculator. I mean, a computing tabulating recording company. They they built calculators in 1911. Yeah. See, but that's exactly the point, though. They started doing one thing, and they pivoted, still doing the same thing, just a right. little bit different. I think it's interesting that we still refer to these things as computers, which is another way of saying calculators. And that's yeah. essentially, that's all they are. They're, it's a dumb box of rocks, but it's a really fast box of rocks. Uh, it, it does one thing at a time, billions of times per second, and all it can do is add one digit. That's all it's capable of doing. You can add a zero to a one, or a one to a zero. That's all a computer can do. But you do yep. a, a, a enough, you do that billions of times per second, and amazing things can happen. Yep. That's, that's really it. All right, uh, that's it. I got nothing else. So let's move on to our dev slash random, and uh, Chris is going to humble brag right now. Uh, well, it's not just that because I'm actually going to do something awesome with it too. Um, so just recently, I picked up the HTC One M8. Um, you know, from considering I was a zero phone person to a what I class as a super smartphone. Um, it's a huge learning curve for me, so I figured I'd, in the next couple of weeks I'll write up something about it with a nice little review. But it's a neat little phone. If you've never seen the, the M8 or have never touched one of the HTC brands, they do a really good job. I wish they would have a little bit less stuck in software that I'm not allowed to get rid of. Because, um, like, the NFL app decides to crash every five minutes when I'm browsing the web have you rooted uh, it you root it you can freeze those things you can't yeah, i know them. i know i i know if i root it i can do that i'm trying to go without rooting it at this point because now let me tell you the one reason you need to root it okay i'm, I'm not a romer i'm not into having different roms but you do need to root it so that you can use titanium backup uh, oh yep and that's that's the one reason I root every phone I own because without titanium back or a backup similar to it, without being able to back up the the root partition, you you always go back to where you were if something happens. But with titanium backup, if you're I've had my phone die and they sent me another one, boop done. It's connected to my Dropbox. I pull it off a of Dropbox and it's there. So that's that one app right there. That and and Wi-Fi tethering are the the two reasons I root every phone I get. So, well, I have Wi-Fi tethering with this one. Okay, it has it's built in, so I don't have to do that part. So you're not on and AT and T then, because AT and T won't let you do that, even though it's built in. No, I'm on Verizon, so they allow me to do that as long as I have signal. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was just on my drive for the new job, and I was kind of looking to see how many antennas are on the way, and they just erected two new antennas in the middle of the drive, and there's. What did I count? Nine dipole antennas on both facing each direction. So each tower has eighteen antennas on it. Which for you know Nowheresville, Montana, that's a lot of antenna coverage. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. And you can thank the Bakken for that. (laughs) And Seth has to sneeze, apparently. Yes, uh, I came across this website. I think it's called Etchup. 
A-T-C-H-U-U-P. It's an urban vision expression that's equivalent to amazing, cool, or awesome. And uh, two links to kind of tell you what the site's about that I like so much. Uh, one is just some rare historical photos, and they're just they're pretty cool. I'm, I'm like a history buff. So, and there's just like the first one is a boxing match on the USS Oregon in 1897. And like there's some pictures of presidents with titans of industry. There's some like Walt Disney stuff. It's really cool. And the other link shows uh, celebrities with their stunt doubles. It's just, it's kind of neat, you know, to see uh, Brad Pitt in World War Z with the stunt double right beside him, uh, that kind of stuff. So, Anyway, just some cool links for you to take out, lose a couple of minutes at work, and appear less productive, so I'll be a better candidate for your job. <laughs> I like it. I like the one with the trees. The trees are awesome. Cutting down the huge redwoods. Uh-huh. That one just blows my mind when I see that. There's like, what, four guys laying across it, basically? Yeah. Two, in the, two actually in the hole, in the side of the tree, and the other ones are... Wow. What a terrible thing we did. We had no idea that it would take centuries for those trees to grow back. Yeah. The, you know, we'd never seen a tree that took that long. I, I feel, I, I think that's one of those things I'd love to go back in history and say, uh, guys, just letting you know here. <laughs> You're going to put idea. yourself in less than a generation. You will kill this entire industry and it will never come back in, in the, the lifetime of your great grandchildren. Just think about that before you cut down that log. It may not yeah, change anything. Yeah. There are a lot of times we do things knowing how dumb it is. But uh, the Redwood Forest, to me, is a, is a fine example of not knowing what we were doing when we were doing it. Right. Yeah. All right. That's our show, people. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your feedback. Uh, and if you would like to leave more feedback, you do that by going to elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page and uh, we leave your your message there or if you want to uh, be heard on the show you can do that by leaving us a voicemail on our Google Voice uh, mailbox that is uh, 559IMOP if you want to dial it up or again you can go to our website and use the leave us a voicemail pay uh, widget enter your phone number and Google Voice will call you and you can be uh, on the show in your own uh, smooth and, and wonderful voice uh, we, again, as I often say, this is listener-programmed uh, radio. We do what uh, what you want us to do uh, because we you are the reason we do it, and we appreciate your feedback and uh, look forward to more of it. We have some other guests coming, I'm pretty sure, in the pipe. We have... Uh, uh, other neat topics but uh, we always want to know what you think i love doing these listener feedback shows and i'd love to do more dads out there happy father's day even if it's not father's day in your country you still should make your family buy you a steak because you should or at um, least some bacon there you go you know something uh and uh that's it i'm not going to say anything else thanks for listening everybody <laughs> and oh wait i will mention one more time i'll plug our patreon pra- page patreon slash L- patreon.com slash if you want to kick us a few pennies or a few bucks we would appreciate it uh thanks folks and that's it that ends this episode of everyday linux mm-hmm.